Normally I say, bam, we're live, but I'm going to switch it to quiet on the set. Yeah. Action. That really just reminds me of a Chris Farley, I think, in um, the Adam Sandler movie. Shoot. Uh, Billy Madison or something like that. It goes, no yelling on the bus. I always thought you were really, really smart, but since you're quoting movies and that's what athletes do all the time, now I think you're really smart and an athlete. At one time, I could lift heavy things over my head. And now? And, and pick them up off the ground. And now? Uh, I'd still probably do okay. All right. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you have a favorite method? Do you have a favorite lift in the gym? Do you have a favorite uh, – well, more specifically, do you have a favorite uh, lift – from ground to overhead, are you are you a, are you a sandbag strongman type, or are you a Olympic lifter, uh, clean and jerk snatch type? At one point, at one point, I had a an amateur American log record. Wow! Wow! I had yeah. So I've I've hit I hit like a that's the strongman shit, right? That's the one we put your hands in the holes and like yeah, like that, log that, that big crazy looking tube <laughs> yeah yeah hit the, the mid threes i think it hit like a 347 or something like that because the weight of the log uh ground to overhead uh phd in um biochemistry did you view yourself as a laboratory or do you view yourself as a laboratory your own uh, at what point almost exclusively yes <laughs> And as you get older, you have uh, you, you you view yourself more as a just a subject to sustain some <laughs> a petri dish to sustain cells <laughs> as opposed to one to experiment on. Excellent question. I, I realized quickly that uh, when you try and run experiments on yourself, you get severely limited on how many you can run. Yeah, and uh, what what you run them for and how useful you can make them for other people. And okay. it, the as as other people started to take higher priority in my life, experimenting on myself turned into a smaller and smaller priority. Uh, something as simple as like a change in your diet would make you moody and less lovable from your wife and kids. Uh, well, you could, you could take the full gamut from staying up three days in a row to trying a bunch of drugs to doing this sort of exercise training regimen to, any any number of things, you name it, I've probably tried it or tried to integrate it in some sort of ergonomic and or ergogenic way in particular. I tend to shy away from stuff that makes you dumber or try er, to. Er, uh, say that again, ergogenic weight. What's that mean? The ergogenic, like, like increases your performance. Okay. Uh, I don't want you to be surprised what I'm about to show you, but there's a guy back here. Did you see him? Yes, Mr. Beaver, apparently. Yes, Mr. exactly. It is C. Beaver. And if you start swinging big words around like ergogenic, he will like look them up and definitions will pop up on the screen and we will get to the bottom of any squirrely shit you try to pull on. I love it. Hopefully it corrects me and I get something wrong. See, there's one right there. Uh, intended to enhance physical performance. I believe that's exactly what you said. Stamina and recovery. Uh, Kashi, what inspired you? I, I did a little, um, I can't remember who it was, if it was Michelangelo or Da Vinci or one of those guys, or maybe it was Dolly, but one of those guys in a previous life when I was, was into drawing, I think he experimented where he would sleep every 15 minutes for four hours. Do you, do you, do you know what I'm referencing my chance? And he tried to sustain that. Uh, 
So I, I and when you say that, it sounds like, hey, that's no big deal until you start doing the math. You're like, oh shit, that's only like an hour and fifteen minutes of sleep. Yeah, a day. I, I want to say that I agree with somebody like Da Vinci pulling off a polyphasic sleep schedule. Polyphasic, there we go again. Uh, it, 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 do you remember who you were in, in uh, for Da Vinci's possible adoption of this pro- process? Claudio Stampi writes in this 1992 book, Why We Nap. One of his secrets, or so it has been claimed, was a unique sleep formula. He would sleep 15 minutes every four hours for a daily total of 1.5 hours. Like, fucking nuts. So I could see something like that happening for like a few weeks. Uh, like at the end of my doctoral degree, when I just had a lot of stupid stuff going on at the same time. I think maybe like the last six weeks, I actually slept like every other day. Wow. It, it, but not as an experiment, but out of, no, out of just sort no, of necessity crunch time. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I had a lot of things to grade. I had a lot of experiments to run. I had just done America's Strongest Man record breakers things. So I could put training to the side and I just had a big pile of stimulants and I guess the opposite of muscled my way through. <laughs> Until uh, I got those things completed. I, I exaggerate with six weeks, probably closer to three. I actually met my now wife during that phase. She, <laughs> and Wow. I, I, you were I, sleeping I, on a park bench and she was, she was yes, feeding the pigeons? Some, something like that, yes. I, I rem- actually, she remembers meeting me and I hardly remember meeting her at all. So it turns into a really silly story that she ends up telling because like, she got me on 40 plus hours of zero sleep. <laughs> she, she she saw the the wounded gazelle and the yeah and, yeah yeah, yeah. Hawaiian shirt just full on bush beard yeah those of you who don't subscribe to Dr Trevor Cashy on YouTube are missing out here's why he puts out a video he puts out content nearly every day it's super duper easy to consume and it's valuable in two ways he transmits information. But we live in an era where um, people don't know how to think logically. They don't understand uh, things like um, correlate, correlation besides versus fact, or they don't know how to do proper uh, risk assessment, or they don't understand – they don't put things in, in, in relativity or contextualize. And one of the things – if you go through any of these videos, they'll hit you on all these different levels. So you may not care – on whether smoking really does cause cancer or not. But in his one of his videos, he may slip in there that 1% of all the people in the world, and I'm just making this up, I don't know if I have the numbers exactly right, get lung cancer. And yet it's 2% of all the people who smoke who get lung cancer. And so all of a sudden there, you're getting a lesson on relativity and, and, and things that are contextualized. And if you listen very carefully, you'll hear him um, explore the difference between absolute statistics and relative statistics or relative numbers. And so people think that the doctors would tell you, well, then you, you have 100 percent more chance of getting cancer if you smoke. But that's only relative to that one percent. And they never tell you that shit. And those are the types of things that um, Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, would talk about ad nauseum. And, and they're so easy. Could you pull up his YouTube page, uh, Mr. Beaver? Um, it is, this is such a great website. How, how are you doing this, by the way? You, there's no way you're editing these, right? No, no. In the last few weeks, uh, I started working with one Scott Simpson at Rafiti Media, and he has turned into a tremendous help with helping collate and give ideas and edit and put up and, and overall 
manage the channel that just started, you know, a couple of weeks ago in earnest in any case. Uh, Warren Scott Simpson. He has three names. No, so one, one Scott Simpson. Sorry. Rafiti media. Um, it is, uh, and, and does he, when he makes these videos, does he tell you ahead of time? Hey, um, does he find a vi- like the, like the lady with her giant boobs pushed up? Does he say? Does he also say, "Hey, can you talk about this?" Does he does he come up with ideas on that level, or does Excellent. he you say, "Hey, I'm going to address th- what this lady's saying," and then you edit it, make it cool? Excellent question. So, in in the early days of our tenure, which I still exist in, <laughs> um, I I lean on him and his team heavily for creative ideas as far as like where do I narrow the scope of the content I make because I. I, I have some deficiencies there to as far as like, what do I make a video on? What matters more? And his team really does a, does a, does a very good job of determining like this sort of video makes the most sense at this time, given the sort of stuff you talk about. So he gives a general direction on where to go. And then uh, he gives me constraints and then I try and work within those constraints to maintain, maintain some level of creativity. And then we, we maintain some tension as, you know, I have such, you know, amateurish sort of skills right now. I lean on him a little more for the creative part. Although over, as time goes on, uh, he will have looser and looser constraints and I, I will give myself more and more autonomy as far as what to, what to make the content on. And in the context of like the, the boobs pushed up video, I got a generic recommendation. And then a, a TikTok user on my team actually scours TikTok and says, Hey, why don't you look at this? So that turned into a full blown team effort. Those sorts of, those sorts of videos where I do commentary on, on other people giving advice, etc. cetera. Uh, Rafiti will give the suggestion of, Hey, make some comments on other people giving advice and then a person like a TikTok user on our team will then scour TikTok and find a, a large group of videos for me to respond to. And some of them essentially make the cut. There are a few other people who do, who are doing that, who are really big in the field. And it, um, they are in the gentlest terms, fucking assholes. They're like mean to people when they critique yeah. them. And they've made a, they've made, they have a huge following doing that. Yeah. You yeah. don't do that. Is that hard to do? Is that hard to do? Like when you're like, you're actually like when someone's like, um, yes, you just eat celery for 15 days. You're like, you're not like, Hey, dipshit, that won't work. You're like, well, let's talk about that. And like, you actually like explore th- what it would happen to you if you eat celery for 15 days and you're actually, um, you have fun with it. It did, did you, do you have to, does someone like, Hey, don't be a dick that that role's already taken Dr. Cashy. <laughs> so we, we actually had an interesting conversation about this because the the sort of i'll just call it polarizing content does it get, get a little bit more attention yes and it, it the it, boobs uh, work though the only reason why i watched a lot of your content but i watched yeah. that one for the boobs i will tell you uh, fair, fair enough and i and i do get a little excited there i do like to to get excited during the videos sometimes i sing and dance and yell although I, I i do it and focus on more of the inane things rather than the the more pedantic stuff so i care more about the big picture and uh I, I have really have very little desire to to talk shit at really m- much at all. I have generic concerns, like if this looks dangerous, I might say this looks dangerous, although I I give due respect insofar as I, I assess the language and the behavior more than more than I assess the person. 
So if somebody right. says something concerning, right. I'd say this is a concern versus this person causes problems. Right. I worked at a home for disabled adults for five years. I started working there, low man on the totem pole, uh, making $7 an hour, finished running the place with 20 people working for me, but stayed barefoot the entire five years. And that was the training I received. That was the most legitimate training I received. Address behaviors, not the people. Yeah, yeah. And I consider it a, a probably the, the defining, at least the way I, I define it, the defining feature of respect. To me, respect, respect means separating the person from, from the behavior. And so if you want to talk about self-respect, same thing. It means that I assess, I assess the outcome instead of assessing the person. That's the origin of all my um, fights with my wife when we fight. It's because we're talking and there's miscommunication and I get mad at her instead of staying focused on the communication. Real easy to do. Uh, some dorks might call it stimulus generalization if you want to shoot that into your Google. And the way that that language sort of gets loaded, the, the economy of language sort of dictates that we lump things together. And even though it saves energy for you right now, it ends up layering sort of uh, irritation and problems in even in the short term, although definitely in the long term. Stimulus generalization is the ability to behave in a new situation in a way that has been learned in other similar situations. The problem is how to learn which aspects of the learning situation should be generalized. Wow. I learned one the other day. Um, I had a guy on uh, Dale Saran, brilliant guy. He's the he led the class action suit uh, against the United States military when they were forcing the uh, our brave uh, men and women who are soldiers of the U.S. government's uh, military to uh, take the anthrax vaccine. And now he's doing a class action suit uh, to help the guys who are being forced to take the COVID vaccine. And he taught me the word edification. But I can't remember what it means. But I was saying something. He goes, "Oh, you're that you're talking about edification. Do you know what that word means, Cashy?" So something to the effect of like you use it to bolster something else. Typically in the context of something academic, although you can make it, you can generalize it uh, to other things as well. So if I, I could, I could edify you, for instance, uh, by. Oh wait, that's not. The, I don't think that's the right word. Maybe I'm saying the word wrong. Shit. And by the way, those of you who think it's fun coming on this podcast, imagine Dr. Cashy just wakes up and I'm and I'm and I'm harassing his intellect already. Seven twelve a.m. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much for having me on. By the way, dude, you're awesome. You are you are a uh, an incredible resource uh, for humanity, and and it's only it's only growing. That means a lot, man. That means a lot. I, when I saw the the title you had for this video, I saw it maybe like a week ago. I think I busted a tear. Uh, I think you labeled it like a damn good friend or something like that. It caught me at the right moment because I think maybe maybe you saw the, the like the Instagram video I put up where I talk about it. I uh, was just yelling at Caleb the uh, yesterday, dude. What the fuck? How about putting a little creativity into the fucking titles of these videos? And that you, can you now he heard that and it throws everything I said out the door because he came up with that title. Well, okay. I was yelling well, it, at him for shitty titles, and now j fucking ten hours later, you're saying what a great title it was. Well, it it affected it affected me on a personal level. Whether it affected anybody else, I think right. you can determine using other tools. <laughs> Although it got me at the right time, and you know, a couple of days after I made some other video, uh, getting getting essentially getting sick of all the little well strong word, 
just seeing a lot of just negativity and trash talking and these five things will make you depressed. These five things look like, how about we talk about what it looks like to have a damn good friend? Oh, I like that. So it actually, so I, I, I he may have referenced a, a short video I had made discussing the topic. You made a video on what it means to be a good friend. Yeah. I haven't I'm, seen I that. Put one. A, I put an Instagram short up. Um, I'll throw something out there. Sure. Uh, lo, um, uh, Keep setting your friend free, keeping letting your friend be free in the relationship, meaning you and I have a, a date to go get a cup of coffee and you call me and say, hey, I can't make it. And I give you no guilt trip. Oh, no problem, dude. I'm always here for you. Set them free. But no stress, no pressure on the relationship. Do you ask or tell about? Well, tell me why you said that. Tell you why I said what? Yeah. Why did you bring up the set your friend free in the relationship thing? Oh, I was just thinking of uh, five things. Um, So when you said when you said you made a video about five things that make a good friend, I I have this friend, Adrian Bosman, and I always loved his friendship because it was so free. It was like there was never there's never any pressure. It's like. I show up late. I show up early. I show up to his house. It's just honest. There's just integrity in it. There's, there's never any, like you can cancel. There's, there, it's never like, there's no pressure. Understood. Understood. And, and that, and that definitely classifies that sort of friend. So give me, give me a second here. Now that I've found the, maybe miss, maybe Mr. Beaver can find it. Is it, it's on your Instagram? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let me see here. Where do you live? Yes. Where do you live, Doctor Cash? Are you in Palm Springs? Negative. I live in Bee Cave. See, I'll put this here. I think that that does it. I live in Bee Cave, and uh, so I have a an Austin. I have an Austin zip code, so I pay all the taxes and get none of the benefits. It, Bee Cave is um, a, a town outside of Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I stuck the. I think I stuck the video in the. Yeah, I stuck the video in the chat. When did you private oh chat. in the private chat? Yeah, yeah. When did you um when did you move to um Austin? Oh gosh, I want to say like 2019 maybe? Okay. So you were there last time we talked. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Wow, you got out early. And, and where were were you in California before? No. <laughs> no. Where were you? I lived in Ohio a few years before that, then Florida a few years before that, then Azerbaijan a while before that. Right. And then uh, and you were working with the wrestling team, the, the Olympic wrestling team in Azerbaijan, yeah, right? Yeah, quite a few fight sports there, although they most certainly care about wrestlers the most, in my experience. Right. Okay. Sorry, Beaver. Let's see. Let's see. This, this is going to be good. I have a video of yours I can't wait to show everybody. Oh, dear. It's so good. Five ways to know you got a damn good friend. Their way to say good things about you behind your back. Period. Two. Opposite to that, they stab you in the front. You got something fishy going on, they bring it up and they do it because they care. Three. They force you to get better. Other people cheer you on, but a good friend brings it on. When you meet up, you had better bring something new to the table because they did. Four. You can talk to them about anything and you about what you've learned how to win from it and where to aim next five when you succeed they back you and to them it's like a win in its own way good friends get you some dr cashy here with five ways to know you got it uh 
stab you in the front, uh, say good things behind your back. Yeah. You can talk to him about anything. Oh, now I'm out of order. Uh, they bring it every when they come to the conversation. They bring it, bring something new, bring something fresh. Um, I really like that. What was five? What was five? Five. Uh, when when you do well, yes. they also feel good because yes. you do well. Yes, your book's a number one seller, and they're happy for you. They're not yes. jealous. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah, having friends that inspire you is cool. <clears throat> yes. So I take a I take more of like a Samuel Johnson style approach to friendship. You know, slightly more slightly more Aristotelian, more in the Samuel Johnson area, where he like he he says something to the effect of uh, a friendship should be in a constant state of repair. Hmm. You know, Gandhi said that uh, you shouldn't have friends because f- what friends really are are people who cause you to compromise your morality. So funny, funny you through, say through, that. Through loyalty. And, and I'm guilty as fuck of that. Yeah, funny you say that. I typically give that label to family. Right. Or some great videos on that. Some great videos on that. Go yeah, on. Yeah, just people that – that have a license to, to treat you poorly and you feel okay with it because family, because blood, whatever. So the, the, the terminological issue matters of if, if you define friend in this way, well then yes, friends would definitely hurt you more than help you. And if you define friend insofar as they make you better, you have aligned goals, they call you out when you do something silly uh, and they want you to get better. Those sorts of things. If, if a person, effectively forces you to compromise your morality, then that might put them outside of the realm of, of friend. Although you might have a friendly relationship with them. Right. There was, um, before, before I was married, it's, it's funny how everything changes when you were married, when you get married. Yeah. Um, I didn't even, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have kids. And then, and then I had a kid and, and the only, the only time I ever thought about getting married is one time I was in a plane and there was crazy turbulence. And I heard this voice in my head basically say, Hey, you should have married Haley. That, that was my girlfriend at the time of like 20 years. Who's now my wife. And then finally we had, we had a kid. And then, and then when she got pregnant the second time with twins, I was like, Hey, we should get married in case one of us dies. Um, <laughs> that all, all of our shit just easily goes to the other person. Okay. And, um, but after we were married, I was so glad we got married. Something changed and intangible. I can't, I can't explain it. We went and got married in a courthouse, uh, and, and I'm so freaking happy we got married. Yes. If, if, it, it, this, this may have particularly large effects on, I guess, entrepreneurial types because entrepreneurs tend to have issues with commitment where I use commitment in a more technical way. I have serious issues with commitment. I feel so, trapped by it. Yeah. Always have since I've yeah, been a little so kid. Basically when you actually commit yourself to your wife, for instance, look at all the other options in your life that just vanish mm-hmm. and how much now free energy, cognitive load, whatever you want to call it, you have to apply. To I like load life. in there. Free. I freed up some loads. Yes, correct. Yes, yes, yes. yes. absolutely. And I could tell you that for, for me personally, like, you know how much energy I freed up when like I could just start ignoring other women? Yes. <laughs> yes. Among other things. So yes. God, I, I wish you wouldn't have said that. That's almost too much for me to handle. You're so right. Just just one of the just one of the many benefits of marriage, ignoring women. Yes. Uh, and, and he doesn't mean like ignoring them as um people. He means ignoring them as women. 
yeah. So the you can almost address them more as people, not kind yes, of. You absolutely. can. So yes, I can you, tell you, yes. I have zero fear of asking for a woman's phone number now. Right. I just did it yesterday, and she right. just gave it right up. Yeah. And I went, "Shit, I should have got married way earlier." <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never, I never thought of it like that. So, so then I get married, and I'm ecstatic. I'm, I'm, ecsta- I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm ecstatic, and I'm free. And in that relationship. I'm swerving off course here. This wasn't where I was going, but what course really- do we have here, Savant? Thank you. Um, she spent the last uh, I don't know eight, eight weeks ago. She stopped drinking coffee, and 30 days ago, she she abstained from alcohol for 30 days. And those are the kinds of relationships I want to be in. I want to be. It's it's number uh, three. You would th- that she's bringing it. She's bringing something new to the table. That's yeah. uh. And whether it's she's she's experimenting and it's a good um, she's not asking me to do it, but it's a great. Uh, what's that called when you have good one uh, example for me? Yeah. An insane example. Yes. Yes. And and with this person so close to you, their their attention, affection, approval matters. And we learn very early on that sort of doing the sorts of things that if we want attention, affection, approval from people doing the things that they do tends to raise the probability of that occurring. And so she ends up turning into a model sort of on purpose and by accident. Right. And it ends up working out really well when you have a friend or a relationship that you want their attention, affection, and approval, and you get that by emulating them. And it just so happens they do healthy, useful, productive things for you to emulate. And, and, and thoughtful too. It, it goes yeah. the other way too. I can remember being, you know, younger and, and, uh, you know, 20 years ago and her wanting to have a cigarette and she would go outside and have it and not tell me so that she wouldn't be like, Hey, you want to have a cigarette with me? She, <laughs> she knew it's not good for you. And she yeah. wouldn't, you know, she, she wouldn't selfishly. Yeah. Yeah. There you're is, right. It does go both ways. There is a video, uh, Caleb, I put it in the, um, in the private chat. There is a video where you put a stick in the gears. And uh, this is an amazing video because I think it, it's really advanced. It, this, is, this is so advanced. Basically, you're teaching people in this video how to meditate, or maybe people who already know how to meditate see that you're pointing to meditation. Okay. Meditation is the, any, any form of observation. Okay. So it's it's being present of, of me um, staring at the computer screen, then being present of um, me staring at my headphones over there. And then as you cultivate more and more um, observation, you start becoming aware of awareness. And then um, and but but it can go the it can go the other way also. I can be aware of my noisy brain. Sure, sure. I'll take it. So we we I, I use different terms, although we agree in principle. Okay. Yes. Um, can you play the video, uh, Caleb? But th- there's something you talk about in here that I, I think probably goes over so many people's heads. But you you point to the domicile. Never use that word. I'm trying to show off. You point to God's domicile. Okay. In this, and uh, and it's it's a it's a very tricky place to point to. But uh, please uh, play, Mr. Beaver. I talk about expanding the space between stimulus and response. When you push the pause button on your thoughts, when you're upset about hand, how extreme the thoughts are. It is clear you're aroused or, or stimulated. These are the types of conversations that happen in you before you respond, right? So there's a stimulus and then this conversation happens however fast before the response. This is the time in the spokes of that cognitive grinder 
you inject the logic and reason, have a resilient response, and foster a learnable moment, generally positive outcome. There it is. It's, sorry, I know it's breaking up. That stick yeah. is God. Okay. Uh, and, and, and by that, I mean I, I drive by. You cut me off, and I give you the middle finger. And if you respond um, uh, with, without uh, awareness um, with the finger back – um, you have now closed the opportunity to stare into the domicile of okay, understood of of, of, of infinity of the unknown. Call it yeah. whatever you want. So it sounds like you 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 reference the opportunity cost of impulsive behavior. Opportunity. Yes. Yes. Um, how? But don't you think that when you make that video, that's a little advanced? Like people don't even. I've never heard it ex even explained the way you explained it. It's usually explain. You explain it so practically. I always hear it more like explained, like as um. From like like God's domicile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Show yeah. me God's domicile so I can use it to help. Like so. Agreed. So, although I, I very much appreciate the God's domicile metaphor, how yes. in the ever loving hell does that help anyone? Right, right. Other than the Man. fact that we agree. Right. And so the, the, the fact that we agree actually distracts from understanding, which I think contributes to a lot of the problems of making these sorts of tools practical. I don't think that most people even know how to. I think that people are just most people are just being controlled by their thoughts anyway. They don't realize that they have options. Sure. They don't they don't realize they don't have to flip the person off. They can they can separate they can be aware of that does that one of that is an option for a response. Yes. And, and to your point, people only do what they get taught to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they learn things by accident. Sometimes they learn things on purpose. Uh oh, he froze. Did he freeze for you, Caleb? He did freeze for you. Okay. His picture has been great up until then. They don't want us talking about mindfulness. Ice 392, mindfulness. Sorry, Dr. Cashy, you froze. So if you're talking and I'm talking over you, I apologize. Did he freeze for you guys or did I freeze? Who froze? You decide. Testing one, two. Testing. He may, Dr. Cashy, you may have to log off and log back in because you have frozen. Do, I've never seen anyone freeze for this long in 500 shows. Have you, Caleb? It he froze. Looks like a, it almost looks like a joke. Oh. <laughs> oh, like, so clear. I thought he was kidding. <laughs> he froze. Thank you. Hello. We have Hello. you. Thank you. Thank you. He froze. Yes. yes. Ah, he's coming back now. He's sweating like a pig. No, I have no goo in my hair. My hair is getting longer. I'm in Newport. I've shaved my face. I'm here with uh, the family. I'm here for two weeks. Pretty pumped. Um, there's rumors that Andrew Hiller is also coming to Newport. There's rumors that Matt Souza is also coming to Newport. There's no rumors that Caleb's coming to Newport. Um. <laughs> uh Maybe you never know. You never yeah, know. yeah, you're right. I never know. <laughs> Incoming battleship, luscious seven locks. I don't know about that, but my hair is going to get pretty long. I think. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna let it grow for another uh, 
No, I am not three deep. Not yet. It's early here. It's only seven twenty nine. I was actually, I'm is actually pretty. Um, I, I I was actually pretty nervous about talking to him for two reasons. One, he um, he, when people honor a second time, it's hard for me to remember the stuff that I learned from them the first time. Oh, he's texting me, and so I don't want him to. If I if I if I'm redundant and ask the same questions twice, I don't want him to like think that like I wasn't listening the first time. But I but it's so hard to remember all the shit that I know from all the guests, all the stuff I've learned. Yeah. Are you coming back today? Oh, he said, I'm coming back. I'll put today question mark. Uh-huh. Oh, darn it. There he is. There will be no more God talk on this good, channel. Good grief. Yeah. Smited as we spoke, uh, the power actually went out. So how are you? And then it came back on. Yes. I had to start. It went out for like two and a half seconds, just enough to make all the clocks go back to zero. Do you, um, do you, are you a religious man? Do you, do you believe in God? Good you question. Uh, I, and I know we haven't de- even defined what God is, so I apologize. Yeah, so that if – actually, great point. You can take a sort of like Spinozian approach wherein God equals the universe, et cetera. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I, do, I do appreciate the sort of and, – and the fact that a lot of you know, sort of contemporary religious values come from ancient Greek philosophy. And so I, I like to – think I, I like to, I like the, those sorts of um, philosophies of living. And so I think maybe, maybe Jordan Peterson said something to the effect of like, whether God exists or not, it still kind of makes sense to behave as if, as if God does, as far as like, just how do I govern my behavior to have some sort of compass, especially when starting out. Um, I, I consider myself rather, rather empirical insofar as like, Do I consider it provable? To my understanding, no. <laughs> Although I can still appreciate it and respect the people that do. Well, right. will, right. I, will right. I let it, you know, and, and really from a, like a modern sort of psychotherapeutic standpoint, I, I maintain that it, it creates a lot of the sort of modern day, a lot of modern day anxiety, perfectionism, et cetera. That like a met, you know, so you, we talked about the Hawthorne effect the last time we spoke where, you know, somebody's behavior will change when when they think they get they somebody watches them and so now when you sort of apply that sort of phenomena like this whole pie in the sky omnipotent being sees everything you do or else that actually generates a lot of sort of anxious stress perfectionistic style gnarly behavior that gets people pretty miserable and so from a from a practical application standpoint i tend to have some problems uh and Beyond that, I, I do appreciate the sort of um, Spinozian approach that we just have things we have like things that we know nothing about and we can assign it to something else until we do. How old were you? When did you come to this uh, uh, understanding or position that you were, even though you don't necessarily believe in God from the empirical point, you respect those people that do that last part. When did you learn to respect those people? Cause I just learned that. Oh, at, and I'm 50. Un- understandable. So I, I had a rather like the classical, like militant sort of atheistic demeanor as, as a younger kid. So I think you knew that like I, I got really heavily formally educated very young and uh, <laughs> I just combat boot wearing uh, mohawk, mohawk sporting, t- twenty-two-year-old PhD in biochemistry. Like, 
okay, there is no God. Everybody's dying. Like you want to fight me? Why bother? I'll swab your doorknob, you know, sort of, you could see it in my face. I just cock cock swab it, cock swab it. Oh, so (laughs) I I used to make this half serious joke because Mm I like, I had, I had an imposing physical presence that I have since practiced a lot to try and dampen. And, uh, and with what I wore, I, you know, it, basically you go to a bar, someone picks on you sometimes, right? And uh, I just, why would I bother fighting you when I could swab your doorknob? So I would make these half-hearted threats, like just start washing your hands, man. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, and it, how that, tall are you? Huh? How tall are you? Uh, six, like on the six, dot. Six, six feet. Yeah. I don't know on what the that's dot. like. I, I'm five, five on, on the dot. Caleb six two, so there. Yeah, he beats us all. <laughs> he beats us all. The okay, so so how old were? Then what happened? Uh, did you did you have a mentor that was like, hey man, we need people who believe in God, or how, how did you, how did this giant brain of yours start to understand that those people are, are worth respecting? Oh man, I can. It, it it happened by exclusion. So in my my younger years especially as a minor, I hung out with a lot of people involved in, I'll just call it organized crime who aligned themselves with a couple of organizations that you've probably heard of. And because of the background I had and my status as a minor, I had some use to them. And I sort of had a, a YOLO sort of, I suppose, disposition. Very few people know this, although I'll tell you and then the people that listen by extension, I actually suicided at 15 and got revived (laughs) And, and from that point to like age 22, I just like very easy for me to take risks because what's the worst that can happen? I die. Right, right, right. (laughs) So that actually opened up a lot of, you know, entrepreneurial windows for me, so to speak. And it, I would say in my early to mid twenties, I, I studied depression a lot because I thought I had depression. And sort of put my my biochemistry brain into this, and it ended up sort of directing me in, into behavior at large in the long run. But really, after I dug through a lot of research and actually found a couple of people that that's that specialized in some stuff I had interested in, I'll just leave it in that. I actually found out I had anger problems. So the, the they look very similar unless you know how to discriminate what you do, when you do it, and why. <laughs> And, and a lot of these things can coexist. So I think people might call it comorbidities. Like you can have depression, anger, anxiety, all that stuff at the same time. And anger gets kind of kicked to the side as far as a a, a treatable sort of behavioral psychological condition. Almost all of the energy gets put into anxiety and depression with anger as seen as some sort of temporary sort of compulsive behavioral issue rather than, rather than a, a protracted attitude that causes long-term problems, like something like depression or anxiety. And I found somebody that specialized in at least had the, takes a position of, of, of anger as, as a disorder, just like anxiety or, or uh, depression as a disorder. And it turned out that I had upon like looking through the, the work that he did, I had almost exclusive sort of anger issues And then when I started assessing my behavior, the environments I hung around in, the people I hung around in, 
with the the sort of reinforcement I got for the things I did. It turns out that I had effectively just taught myself to feel angry all the time. And before the power went out, this actually gets gets into an interesting point about like the road rage driving sort of stuff, which I'll get back to in a second. And the <clears throat> I realized how much time, energy, and resources and lost sleep and relationships, et cetera, that I had, I, I say lost or ruined or whatever, just by virtue of feeling angry all the time. And so when I, when I saw that the, the cost of anger, essentially, yes, yes. And so that loops us back to the sort of the correlation causation and looking at data that you, you brought up earlier that uh, people confuse cause and causal factors that a lot of different things can contribute. Like, do I think smoking causes cancer? Actually, no, I think it, it, it exists as a causal factor to cancer. If smoking caused cancer, then when you smoke, you would get cancer. Just like beheading someone causes death. If you cut someone's head off, they die 100% of the time. Therefore cutting someone's head off causes death. So, so does smoking for cause- sure their head comes off? Yes, absolutely for sure their head comes off. 100% off. Even if they live for a few seconds, like you could point to like that split second when they're still alive. I'm like, no, Dr. Cashy, look, he's still alive. Yes, agreed. So then you can make <laughs> for oxygen transfer, et cetera. So yes, you bring up a good point. And for the right. sake of for the sake of analysis, yeah. you 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 draw semi-arbitrary lines and then set up your experimental boundaries based off of those, based off okay. of those cutoffs. Yes. So and and to that end. You you can you can go into you can go into regressive a regressive a spiraling regression and say well if that guy's mom hadn't have given birth then you wouldn't cut your head off blah 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 and then say that this guy's mom actually caused your head to fall off and all of those things depending on the frame you could argue as some level of true and so I just I just arbitrarily decided to set the boundary there of cutting like losing your head causes death right <clears throat> and in that case I ca- I would consider it a single cause rather than something that has a lot of contributors, making them causal factors. Right. So, so Well explained. Thank you. That's good. Cool. So it, it, only, it only causes it if it adds up to 100%. <laughs> right. I just like, I have, I have that philosophy of science or a philosophy of living as it were now. I, I, I tend to combine them for obvious reasons. So to the, to the point about anger and, and sort of teaching yourself, and you talk about nobody knows how to sort of sit back and observe or meditate or stay mindful or aware, or whatever, whatever sort of synonym we want to use, that the whole road rage concept of flipping someone off, actually, I would consider a superstitious behavior. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Superstitious behavior, the way I look at it, arises from the the outcome having nothing to do with the stimulus. So I, I like to use the rain dance as a great example. It, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for instance, if you dance and it rains and you need rain, well, then you, the, the rain has now associated or the, the, the rain has now made an association with, with, with um, excuse me, <laughs> dancing yeah. wet ground. Yep. Okay. Okay, Yep. Yep. So now going back to our road rage idea that if, if you flip someone off and when you drive, when you drive in a car, 
you have quite a bit of influence over how close or how far you get from any given thing. And so if you flip someone off and speed away or flip someone off and slow down or they flip you off and drive away, all of those outcomes actually relieve the, the stress that you feel. So does flipping someone off in this case relieve stress? No. no right. No. However, them speeding off or you slowing down or speeding away and getting away from them does. And that actually reinforces the road rage, creating a superstitious behavior, because now whenever I flip someone off and I speed off, that stress goes away. It actually reinforces do, using that as, as a cue. Right. And so then you learn to flip someone off. Wow, that's some You're twisted cute. shit. Just like. If- I, I smell bacon. My wife must be cooking bacon. I wonder if every, I'll think of you now whenever I. I if we time really, it correctly, so I also like to I'm doctor when I'm gonna do podcasts uh, with Dr. Cashy. My yeah. bacon. I also love to give the joke of um oh man, I get worked up talking about this. That the power of words, so to speak, we'll maybe get to that some other time. But if I hold I'm up a hu- I'm hugely I'm a Taoist to, to heart, the power of words. I believe we're all sorcerers here, and whoever has the biggest vocabulary okay. is yep. conducting reality. <laughs> we on. agree. So yeah. maybe maybe we spoke about this last time, but if I hold up a head of broccoli. Okay, yeah. if I hold up a head of broccoli and and I punch you in the face repeatedly, what happens? I hate broccoli. You hate broccoli. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the look, people are getting it. Miss Tell is getting it. Yes, exactly. So Pavlov's dog, this brings up respondent conditioning, although this also includes operant conditioning, all sorts of other learning pathways that have the same sort of basic underlying, I guess you could call it neurology, if you want to bring out the N-word here. That Another now, one of my favorite words. One of my favorite words to talk about. Now the 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 punching has connected broccoli and fear. So a person might say that that Savan made the association, but really the punching made the association, and and so that actually takes the agency of the acquiring of the behavior and puts it into an external source. That the ties pun- back to another theme that we brought up: that it's not about the person; it's the behavior. Correct. And so can you change a person? I think you ask a ridiculous question. I think you can change behavior and that a person equals their behavior over time. So insofar as can you change? Absolutely. If you learn things, strictly speaking, the way I see the world, you have changed if you have learned something. And you have learned something when you do something different in similar conditions. I draw the line there as having learned something. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are paying close attention, uh, Dr. Kashi opened up a thousand doors and I took notes on at least 10 of them. And I promise you, I will go back and open those doors. Let's go back. So we we still need to, we still need to get to how you learned to respect those, but, 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 but before, before, before we get there, um, uh, what was your method for, um, uh, and trying to end your life at the age of 15? What, what was your, uh, exsanguination? What's that? What's that? Stop breathing. Bleeding. Bleeding out. Oh, in, 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 um, so you cut yourself somewhere yes. with a knife. Yeah. And if you, did you fail? Do you think um, because you didn't really want to do it or you're just lazy or bad tactics or any thoughts on that? Well, I could have done it. I, I could have severed a limb or I could have done something more violent, I suppose. Uh, you can also, if you want to differentiate me me wanting to die may have or did outweigh the desire to kill myself, 
which I consider two oh, very separate things. Yes, yes. Because I really wanted to die. Yeah. But there was no fucking way I was going to kill myself. And so I, 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 there was a mathematician named uh, P.D. Ouspensky from the turn of the century. Do you know who that is? Have you heard no, of him? No. He was part of the Madame Blavsky. It's, it, it's, it's probably a, uh, too uh, esoteric for a man of your empirical nature. Do you know who Krishnamurti is uh, mm-hmm. out of o- Ojai, California? Anyway, he basically said we're just a bunch of I statements. And um, if you deny those I statements that you will become um, – you will see the ultimate I am. So then I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, and I've talked about this in the shows, but I'll kill myself. I'll just lay perfectly still and just let myself die because I don't want to kill myself. So I'll just let myself die. And I took that journey inward. But that's it. I've never heard anyone say, I never was able to articulate it the way you just did. There's a difference between wanting to die and killing yourself because you didn't want, I mean, it takes some, it takes some fucking, I don't even understand wanting to, how you could hurt the body. That's what I didn't want to do. I was like, fuck, I can't hurt this thing. Uh, that that also turns into one of those sort of superstitious behaviors. Right. Like it, it turns into something you learn to do. And um, it has. Oh, and, you, and you were capable of hurting other people. Yeah. Although Which, very like I would say 99.9 out of 100 times I would just hurt myself instead. Right. Like, did you used to have a – were you a hair plucker? No. I cut myself. Are you sure – there's evidence that sh- says otherwise. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of electricity, fire. Um, I'd like put matches out on myself and stuff. Uh, wow, electricity. Yeah, pretty trippy. Um, Did you have a train set? Did you do it with a train set? No. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, actually. Oh, I had a train set and, and it had a throttle. Okay. And it had, and, But I took it off and would just electrocute shit. Mm. Like I was like, fuck the train. I'm going to electrocute myself. I'm going to electrocute shit in the house, bugs, the dog, anything. I'm going to fucking electrocute it. Just turn the <laughs> throttle up on yeah. it. It's was, it was just crazy. <laughs> While your parents are asleep on Saturday mornings How at 5 a.m. and you're up with your train set. Yeah. <laughs> How in- and highly stimulating. Highly stimulating. So the mo- mostly stuck to mostly stuck to to cutting myself. A lot of my body hair actually covers it. But if you want, I can send you a I can send you a close up sometime later if you have some curiosity. Um, it, um, any anything that you did yourself that's long term? Uh, f- phrase the question again. Did you chop your penis off? No. Oh, no. good. All right. Well, you're good to go. No, I've- I wish you. C- I could see Caleb in the back laughing. Yeah, Caleb, this isn't I- funny. For that, that reminds me of the, the guy who actually contributed the most amount of entries to the Oxford English Dictionary, kind of a big deal. Uh, and a guy who lived in an insane asylum, he, he killed someone and got, one, I think, one of the first people or in that range that got like a life sentence in an, in an insane asylum versus just getting straight up capital punishment. And a uh, brilliant guy. And, and because at the time, I, I forget the, the, the exact year they started making the OED, but he, he got a hold of some magazine article and then started sending in entries of words and submitted like some crazy high five-digit um, number of entries to the OED. Anyway, he ended up going crazy and chopping off body parts, his penis, one of them. Ooh. And this really like sort of... I'll just, yeah, I'll just leave it there. He, he blamed, he blamed uh, morality on it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So I read the the, incredible Caleb. Impressive. William Chester minor, a physician of some sort who um, ended up going a little bit crazy from what I recall, 
he he blamed it on uh the sort of how do i say this he essentially had to torture people that run away that ran away from from camps during war and then also keep them alive so he would like brand people and stuff like if if a soldier ran away and they got caught he would brand them and then treat the wound and so he did a lot of that stuff screwing with him quite a bit yeah yeah and then he ended up getting paranoid because I guess he did it to a ton of, I think, Irish people. And he started getting paranoid about Irish people. And then he ended up killing an Irish person out of like a fit of paranoia, from what I recall. And that ended up getting him sent to the insane asylum where he also had proficiencies for language, et cetera. So he got he lived in many other places. But he cut off his own penis and yeah. auto pendectomy to prevent such actions. He used a knife he otherwise used to work on the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally cut and paste, right? So they allowed him tools because he stayed relatively benign. And uh, he would literally cut and paste entries old school and then send them in because one of the requirements for entering stuff into the OED are to cite your source. Although when, when determining the, the definition of a word you use, you, you appeal to common use. And uh, I love the OED. One of my favorite subscriptions, by the way, you can you can look up a word and it tells you the the use of the word throughout the centuries with the first recorded use, and uh, tells it shows you how the definition changes over time and the different the different ways people used the word. Oxford English Dictionary. Yeah. Um, and um, and then at some point in your life, so for me. I, it was it was the influence of uh, Greg Glassman, but. But in, in more in more recent times, um, being that I was brought up as a, a dirt twirler, hardcore liberal, um, and I'm extremely uh, pro-choice, I when I look over at the the people who are pro-life, their logic seems profoundly sane to me, and the people on my side who are pro-choice seem fucking complete maniacs that they can't understand why those people don't want kids to be killed in the womb. And at that point, I'm like, well, I, I, I like these God people, even though I, I, I don't, I, I like their thinking. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, and so that's kind of through Greg Glassman's influence and things like that. There's probably a dozen examples where I'm like, wow, I, I like that thinking. Yeah. That, that's a, that makes sense to me. Mine doesn't make sense to me. A lot of people make a strong argument about those sorts of values, which has now like really gotten blown out as far as like, you know, stoicism getting, getting popular, uh, the appealing to Christianity, Catholicism, other, other various, you know, conservatism, whatever you, whatever ism you choose. Okay. They, they have values associated with them that help direct behavior. And having a set of rules to live by simplifies you and, and keeps you sane in a matter of speaking, because when a situation presents itself, you can appeal to those values and they help make a lot of the decisions for you. And so aside from the metaphysical sort of the, the metaphysical void of, you know, heaven, hell, God, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people do adhere to a set of values that they got externally. And as they age, they kind of adapt them to their own agenda, which, you know, welcome to learning. And you can you can learn to appreciate that those sorts of values sort of give you a skeleton of a philosophy of living. And if you have a philosophy of living, you can maintain your sanity because you know how to behave in a wider variety of situations by proxy. 
Is that why it seems like that so many? What what if you don't? What sorry if you were still going up? Um, or as, as one of my guests said, I really am not sorry because I interrupt so much. Um, I had a guest on the other day, and he said he talked about something called objective morality. And I said, "What's that?" And he said, "It's you don't want to be killed, do you?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "So you don't kill other people, right?" And he goes, "Yeah." So that's part of your moral code. And I was like, oh, I kind of bought that. I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I like that. So I, I'm, I don't want anyone raping my mom, so I don't rape anyone's mom. Fair enough. And so basically, from a behavior standpoint, you find it aversive and you avoid it. Yeah, right. I get, I guess. But based on what I don't want done to me, is that is there such thing as objective morality? Do you have any thoughts on objective morality? So I, I can, I can tell you that we just assign causes uh-huh. and then agree. With with limited, if any, understanding of actual causation. So, give me an example. Like, give well, me like an example. for instance, you use because a lot. Okay. Because means cause. Okay. It happens because of these things, and often we have limited, if any, understanding of any cause. Right. I'm just making a presupposition there to loop yeah. things without really giving it some correct. deep thought. And that makes because one of probably the most influential words in in English, at least. And when, when you, I say that, do you feel like going prove it every time I say it? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I appreciate its use in, I appreciate the use in sort of colloquial conversation and in more technical conversations, I pointed out more. Really, if you talk to yourself or other people and you throw out because a lot, you, you, you train yourself as much as you train anybody else. You can really believe that this causes that. When really, what what evidence do we have this causes that a million and one t- to the ten things ended up causing that? <laughs> we can say that we we can tell a convenient story and we agree on it, and then we will behave in accordance with that story, which which I define belief as such. I just define believe as behave as if this is the case. And so, if, if you believe that, well, then great. Does that mean it caused it? No. Right. As far as its effect on your behavior, I consider it the same. So do I bother trying to correct this sort of stuff? No, I still do it. Uh, I, 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 just stay, I just stay more aware of it because I know the sort of the effect it can have on a person's behavior, most importantly, my own, when I start assigning cause. Right. I just define mor- morality as a set of rules. Like, do you think that there's an objective morality? Uh, Is that the I, same thing as asking if there's a God? Maybe. Well, I guess that depends who you ask. Uh, <laughs> do I think so? You you talked a little bit earlier about like we are a set of I statements, right. okay? And I I reject that because it, because okay I reject that. I have a belief that a set of I statements depends on language, and we acquire language. Nobody comes out nobody comes out of the womb with language. We learn it from scratch every fucking time. And so that we consist of I statements now depends on something we acquire after birth, which I have a conceptual problem with big time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a side note, not literally we are I statements, but that that in that regard, the context of it, I agree with you, but the context of it is if you as a as a tool to 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 if you deconstruct mean, to deconstruct the person you have to, if the person was built and at the top of the, at the top, there was language to deconstruct you, 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 you use this simple tool. Okay. I am statements to un, undo it. But, but I, but I, I agree. I'm, I'm with you. I'm so with do you. I agree that, that. Unstruct it. 
that language has has luxuries of description, sure. Uh, and that, by and large, pulling the pulling my understanding of the the I statement phenomena, whatever you want to call it, we exist as a set of rules, which we give ourselves either on purpose or by accident. Yes, I should do this. I need to do that. I do these things. Sensations, even right. I I have an itch. I feel this emotions. So do those those act as ways to to affect another person's behavior. So if 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 you say I have a headache to me, I I may change the way I behave around you because of it, whether you act different or not. Or you can lean over your desk and grab your head and and moan, etc. And so right. these have the these generalize. Okay. So do you have to do you have to lean over and scream in pain and grab your knee for for your for me to know your knee hurts? No, you can just say your knee hurts and then I can I can abstract the rest. One right. of the one of the conveniences of language, it just, it, it makes it difficult to take a private, a private experience. Only, only you can observe your knee pain. Only you can. And you can only describe it in a way that somebody would, would understand externally. <laughs> and this, this goes into a whole other, a whole other monster. Where actually, where actually did we come from for this? Uh, well, I can tell you this. Oh, the morality I, I thing. Right. And I am still curious about how you went through how someone changes their perspective from being fuck the religious people. They're crazy to appreciating uh, with their Mohawk to there's no proof of it to I, I see the value in it. Like what what happened to you in your life that allowed you to have this broader perspective, seeing the value of a guy who's holding a wrench versus a guy who's holding a hammer? Ah, I see the value in both. Understood. So in, in my in my later adult years. Really, I, I credit a lot of it. I credit a lot of it towards Albert Ellis and his rational emotive theory, which, which you could consider like a sort of predecessor to modern day CBT. And we we spoke a little bit about it, or at least my own version of it, the last time we spoke, where I talked about demandingness and despairing and downing, and dramatizing, etc. Where I, I have taken a lot of Ellis's philosophies, and I have a made it a little more contemporary and fit it to my own agenda. I changed it too much to give him credit because that would insult him. I'll just leave it there. Okay. Okay. I I do maintain that he, he gave a lot of structure to the language patterns that I think cause or contribute to the, the, the typical American English speakers distress setting rules for yourself must, should need, have to dramatizing, insulting, why bother, et cetera. Now, I realized globally that, like, I spend a lot of time acting mad at, at people I have never met. Mm. Like, if you, if you hang around people in the, in the AB, I'll just leave it there, where they have a problem, people, a problem with people that have colored skin, it, they sit around acting mad about it. <laughs> like, they literally sit around and act mad, and then they work themselves up, and then they do dumb stuff. And I saw this happen. I saw this happen to somebody else as an outsider and realized I do this to myself with a variety of things where I would, I would get mad over something that really had nothing to do with me. And I would, I would potentiate it and perpetuate it until I got, it got to the point to where I had a compulsion to do something silly. I would give myself permission. So I would, I would work myself up. I'd get all these emotions and then I would give myself permission to do something silly to alleviate it. 
that yeah. that another superstition of this I really hate the hydraulic theory of emotion this idea that people can just they, they build up all of this pressure and then they have to let it out somewhere it really bugs the crap out of me from a conceptual standpoint feelings the idea of feelings building up and that they have to release pressure just absurd in any case i realized that i made myself feel bad a lot and just by realizing i made myself feel bad a lot that actually helped just sort of jumpstart the process of well did i make myself mad mm. <laughs> oh, and mm. and and if yes then like okay like now I know that does it make sense for me to behave this way? <laughs> no, you know. So from a practical standpoint, this was all practical. It was practical. Uh, I describe it in a practical way. I think as a as a young as a young man or even a child, it, it gets it gets more difficult to describe how I felt then compared to how I do now. I give you a I give you a discrete sort of accounting <laughs> that makes more sense for me to you. Did I experience that exactly? No. I can tell you that I realized I did make myself mad. And when I did realize that, I started noticing more and more situations where I did make myself mad, which then gave me some tools by default of like, do I want to put myself in the situation again? Did the way I behave help me? What did I get out of it? And so those sort of basic, I, I suppose people would call them like, self-reflection ended up helping me a lot and, and having developing the tools on my own, so to speak, discover, like discovering it on my own. It, it takes a long time. And would I have believed anybody else if they put it upon me? No. So <clears throat> fast forward when I go to, when I go to Azerbaijan. So this actually ended up now I feel getting worked up about this. When I see like the, just the, the blatant difference in, in living situations that people have, where you have just thousands and thousands of people living in hundreds and hundreds of boxes, <laughs> right? Giant yeah. buildings literally cracked down the center. And, you know, when you see the cameras, when you look at videos and see the cameras, they just show the, the Ritz Carlton equivalents. And right. then when you go in there and you see that, like, I could like, I could like knock this whole building over. They built it with popsicle sticks. You got right. these three foot big tiles. And like, I slipped more than once because they have adhered none of the tiles to the ground. And the the big difference in living conditions between the I'll just call it the typical population there, even compared to like the the athletes or the the higher up classes, like you you had you essentially had rich people and servants. And seeing how a vast majority of people live there also gave me a ton of perspective. Like, what sort of problems do I have? People people over in the United States arguing about how many point how many milligrams of protein to consume after your third set of leg extensions in the fucking vernal equinox, like those sorts of like, just it all, it all kind of amounted to nothing. When I saw like, I can, like, I actually have nutrition influence here, <laughs> like where nutrition actually matters. And, you know, especially with the athletes, et cetera. And that helped bring a lot of perspective insofar as the, the classical, what what we would consider a disaster, they just live as their every day. And that helped me a lot. And I also put myself in the position where I, the government actually offered me a very nice, the equivalent of like the penthouse on the top of a fancy building. Very nice of them. And I still opted to live with the athletes. And so I did live with them and they lived in a barracks. They lived in like a repurposed motel and learned a lot watching them, seeing how they behave and walking Outside of, I, I think it, it, the building translated to cage in English, by the way, 
leaving the cage, you know, within a few kilometers, any given direction to see how people behave and live really just by, by most standards here in a typical suburban household, they would just like, they would, they would have a big problem with it. Right. Okay. (laughs) And that helped me a lot. And then moving, moving to Florida from there, I got to, I made a very good friend, Mark McCain, and uh, I, I got an opportunity, a, a pediatrician, and I got an opportunity to work, to work with some kids. And that also really just changed, changed my life for the better. The ability to work with kids with the sort of background that I have in particular, especially seeing how, how important the relationship, the, the parental relationship makes a difference with the kid. And and giving me perspective on like how much how much influence your environment has on how you behave, and when you have even just a fundamental understanding of of learning mechanics, you know reinforcement, punishment, uh, generalization, just basic set of maybe six or seven terms, you see very very fast uh, that we we assign agency to ourselves when really the external environment plays a massive role in the way we behave. And that actually stabilized my emotions more than anything else. Say that last part again, the, about the external environment. So basically when people act in ways that used to upset me, I realize that it has very little to do with me and it has more to do with the fact that they learned to behave that way. Mm-hmm. They learned it. And knowing a little bit, I'll just say a little bit, knowing a little bit about how learning works, if you learned one way, you can also learn another. Right. And knowing the, a lot of the contributing factors to learning and behavior and how it changes over time, <clears throat> it allowed me to facilitate what I call respect because this person just made a face noise or moved their body in a way that made sense for them sometime in the past. Like lying, for instance, I used to have a real big problem with lying until I realized this person learned to lie to avoid conflict. What I used to label as this just moral sort of, um, what do I like? Just what sort of term do I want to use? Like just sort of scum of the earth style moralistic nastiness that like you now deserve X, Y, Z, LMNOP because you lied. I realized this person for whatever reason, they learned to do this to avoid things, to avoid things. Right. And so now when I encounter it and I know that the person lies, I just know that they've avoided something that, that they have, they essentially have decided will lead to something bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And looking at it from that, sort of more like mechanical perspective really helped me to stabilize, to stabilize my emotions because it has very less to do with like this person wants to hurt me. Maybe what they do hurts me as, as a side effect of what they do. Uh, it, It just looking at, looking at what they do and the sort of consequence that, that occurred because of what they did helps me to separate from, helps me to separate from judging the person. You cheat on a test because you want to avoid the discomfort of getting the F your sophomore year in high school in biology, right? It's not that like, you're not trying to do, you're just avoiding discomfort. Yeah. Yes. A very good, very good example. And we could super rant on the the typical education process, almost exclusively depending on punishment and, and even still negative selection. I, I argue that the typical schooling system actually teaches people very little. It more selects for people that can teach themselves. Mm. Uh, 
especially with how you learn from feedback, my friend. <laughs> and, and so if you take a test and you get feedback the next day and then you get an F, would you get to take the test again? No, you move on to the, so like really it only selects for people that can teach themselves in between. And then the assessment. Do you know about Kumon? I know the Japanese guy who developed Kumon for kids. Oh, I, I, I know, I know the business chain. I know yeah. the smiley face. I know. Yeah. So I know that has to do with math, et cetera. I know. Yeah, math, but you do to, and, and that you, my kids do that at home and you get to keep retaking. Yes. And so, it's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. So in, in my, in my magic world, everybody gets a hundred percent in every class. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I want to go back to this thing. This is totally off subject, but you mentioned about people living in different living conditions. Yeah. And, and this is one of the things that changed for me also. But I, I would like to point out that the, 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 the man driving the Honda Civic today, brand new, is driving a nicer car than the, than the most expensive car in 1986. It's safer, it's faster, and it's nicer. And although the discrepancy of wealth may be broadening, the actual quality of life for everyone who wants to take advantage of it, especially in the United States, has dramatically increased. The floor. And, that I, and, and I think it's a huge flaw to, to focus on discrepancy without serious, equal, or more so uh, look at um, opportunity that's, that, that's, that's here. And it's, it's people complain about um, – uh, and rich people doing stuff all the time, like Bezos and, and whoever going to um, uh, outer space, but like, fuck it, let them go to outer space. It, 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 let, why, why are, why are you, wh it's one of the rules we talked about in the beginning about being a good friend. Let's be <laughs> a good friend to them and fucking congratulate them from getting to space. Yeah. 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 And, and really just this, I just kept it relative to myself as most right. humans right. do. Like I, I realized, look at all the stuff I got mad at. Right. That really just any of them would, would count as a luxury, which really easy to say. Right. And until you, until it punches you in the gut, in this case, literally when you get a parasite that <laughs> just the stuff that they live with every day. And I got to experience some of that. Right. Helped, helped stabilize my behavior and my emoting, you know, for a very, very long time. and still affects me now it, that that sort of like, that and I had another experience with my good friend Brian Chung, a, a surgeon, when he came over from Canada to visit me when I lived in Ohio. This big, big turning point for me. Uh, he was a Canadian surgeon. Yes, yes. He came over to visit me, and we went to go train at the local, the local big box gym. And they wanted to give him the workaround, like, hey, like because I just wanted to give him, a, like, buy, buy the guy a day pass so we could train, right? And, and they wanted to take him through the rigmarole of like trying to get him to sign up. And I'm like, dude, he lives how many thousands of miles away? He's here for four days. Can we just, and he's like, it's okay, man. Nobody's dying. Mm -hmm. And, and from any other person, I would have been like, okay. And then like from him as a surgeon, like that spends all his time in the hospital. It, it just like, okay. <laughs> that yeah. affected me quite a bit. It's because I got, I got upset because I valued his time so much. And uh, like, I felt okay paying to actually circumvent this whole process. And he just went, you know what? Nobody's dying. And it like, that really, that really kicked me in the gut personally. So that, that gives two like sort of 
big and then then working with a child which we can talk about some other time those three big experiences in my life really helped stabilize me as far as getting perspective and then just actively developing a philosophy of living that helps me helps me stabilize my behavior in real time to go back to your comments about people don't even know what to do they do it without realizing it etc there there's um there's a uh, a scene did you did you see the movie terminator yeah and there's a scene where the Terminator has like these five options pop up in his head of how he can react to a situation. And at that moment, you re- that that's um, so that's in that in that video that we showed of yours. That's that's one of the byproducts of, of putting that stick in there and becoming present. You won't see f- all five options at once, but life gives you if you don't react life will give you another option. So if you if you if someone flips you off and you want to flip them back and you see that instead of doing it you see it, life will give you another option. It'll be to wave. It'll give you another option to ignore them. It'll give you another option to stop at the McDonald's and get a hamburger. And next thing you know, and I feel like each option you pass, now I know this isn't true and there's no way I can prove this. But each option you pass, the god that I don't believe in will give you a better option. Okay. So the more stillness, it's a game I play. The more stillness. Oh yeah, look at yeah yeah. And he yep. Yeah, and he went with fuck you asshole. Yep. Right. Do you remember that? Yes. Thank I you. Do. Wow, Caleb, that's a fucking incredible. I remember find. the the sound of the UI. If I remember, <laughs> fuck you asshole. Like just, just so awesome. <laughs> yes. What about eating raw meat? I, I, you are a, a proponent of cooking. Um, uh, maybe cooking could be a, a little harsh, but of of processing food and another fucking anyone who thinks BMI is bullshit or that processed food is bullshit. If you want to hear clear thinking and pe- someone who knows how to define words, go watch Doctor Cashy's video on these things. To say that BMI is bullshit, I mean it's. It's such a good fucking video. Hey, dude, it's just a fucking tool and a coral that we use to try to fucking save people's lives. Like, chill the fuck out. But anyway, um, I come from the CrossFit community where everyone's got fucking a 40, extra 40 pounds of muscle on them, so they want to fucking poo-poo BMI. It's like, yo, chill, chill. But what about cooking? I, I, I um, befriended uh, the liver king, and, mm-hmm. um, and so I've been eating a lot of uh, – I've been taking a pound of ground beef and um, – and blending it with a, a third of a stick of butter, or my okay. wife does it, and and three dates. All right. And then I sprinkle some salt on it, and I just eat it. Okay. What, what do you, what do, you do? You have concerns? Or are you like Sevy? Stop that shit! You're gonna fucking be shitting worms in a minute. Well, I think you probably would have already. I know, so but I'm- every am I am I am I am I am I testing fate with each pound I. I, I, I feel comfortable saying that you have a lower risk of contracting a pathological bug <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, if your food reaches an internal temperature of 160 plus Fahrenheit. Okay. Anything well, else? You're you good, to, dude. You roll, you roll the dice, you know? <laughs> so, and, and I also take the position. Did you make that number up or is that a true thing, the 160? Uh, you can reference it, I guess. Okay. Okay. Um, I think I, I think I made it a little bit higher to account for all types of meat. Right. Thank you. Uh, and internal temperature specifically. So that means the external temperature gets pretty damn hot unless you stick it in a sous vide. Are you annoyed by him at all? In no. His, no, 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 <laughs> no. 
are, are you is there any do, do you see value in, in people like the liver king um, presenting so insofar as he we we have a we have a very strong personality that draws attention to a topic more people could use education in and whether I will actually leave it there. I think he will reach a broader audience or a different audience than any other personality would. And even some percentage of his audience will agree. Some percentage of his audience will consider him crazy and watch him for entertainment. And, and a percentage of both of those audiences will then go, will then go take it upon themselves to study nutrition in a greater degree. Mm. And I, I, I seldom believe that somebody would watch The Liver King or me or you or Glassman and, and say, I will only ever listen to this person for nutrition advice ever. And right. I might even go look at what other people have to say, read other books, and then try and make decisions for myself. So to me, like the academic correctness aside, I more care that, that people have now frankly taken more time and energy to try and make themselves better in some way. Mm. And me he too. does it you know, he, he acts as a personality and he generates an income from it, which more power to him. <clears throat> right. Do I work myself up over, over the, you know, a sort of academic pedantic clinical faux pas actually no, And that, you know, gives me a little bit of flexibility too, because if, if I, because it, I, I have this belief that if, if I have start obsessing over the technical correctness of everything I say, which I still want to get over. It, it, it creates a lot of performance anxiety for me when I just want to have a conversation and get the point across. Right. And, and if I want you to know some, some technically oriented research result, well then we could just pull up the paper, man. Right. And, and I, I big, big part of my life watching Sean Connery in the third, <laughs> in the third Indiana Jones movie where, where Indy goes, dad, why didn't you remember any of this? Because they went to like go the holy find the holy yes. grail. He goes, I yes. wrote it down so I didn't have to remember. Yes. And he has like eight-year-old TM like <gasps> dude, you have a little bit of Sean Connery in you. I see it. I'll take it. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Fuck, Just I see probably, it. probably one of the single most influential like five seconds of my life. He goes, I wrote it down so I don't have to, so I didn't have to remember, or something like that. And even like down to my doctoral defense, I walked in that room with a stack of papers this high. And uh, I took some shit for it. And I said, well, do, do you have a rule that nobody can bring notes in? They <laughs> said, no. And I said, well, I would rather have the information if you want it. Right. And just, a, just a, I guess, a different approach than what they normally had because people wanted to, because people wanted to memorize, memorize a whole field of biochemistry before talking to, to six elite, even one Nobel Prize winning person that they could somehow impress them. <laughs> Like, no, I, I came to this room to present the data. I know very limited amount. And if you ask me something I know very little about, then I will, I will procure my references and get you the answer. And I've what was your paper on? What was your PhD on? Um, I studied, I studied the sort of evolutionarily in between bacteria called Heliobacterium modesticaldum. I actually spent a lot of time studying photosynthesis and ah. the biophysics of photosynthesis, which ended up people kind of look at me sideways about it. However, when you realize a lot of our food comes from plants, a lot of the education translates. <laughs> but, uh, I, I studied the biophysics of photosynthesis and the really the energy transfer. I studied energy transfer, essentially. I, um, I, there's a book written by Sam Apple about uh, Otto Warburg. It's called Ravenous. Okay. 
and auto do you are you familiar auto, i think auto warburg is the godfather of photosynthesis i i do recognize the name auto Warburg. I, I i think he won the nobel prize but i i cannot i cannot um uh suggest that book any greater than i can any other book the, the, you will love this book it is it's such a fun easy read it's called ravenous and the author's name is sam apple I had him on the show and Otto Warburg is such a trip. It will, it will, so he's a gay Jew and he's like the only one that Hitler didn't kill. He's the only fucking Jew Hitler didn't kill. And it's fucking crazy Interesting. It's because Hitler was paranoid about uh, cancer. And this dude, this dude pivoted from uh, photosynthesis to cancer research. Okay, cool. He actually won the Nobel prize twice. Uh, the second time Hitler wouldn't let him get it. But uh, he's the one that basically his first Nobel Prize was discovering that cancer cells consume ten times the amount of sugar as regular yeah, cells. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Dude, you will love it. It's a cra- yeah. it's 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 an Indiana Jones type um, adventure. This yeah. book, just how he survives. You know what I mean? He's got two dings, gay and Jew. It's like yeah. he's fucked. <laughs> but but somehow he lives. It happens. <laughs> um. Uh. Raw, we talked about raw meat. I wanted to make sure I brought up at least one superficial item with you. Okay. The last show, last time you were on, I, we were talking about the difference. We ended the show, I think I think on this, talking about the difference between um, thoughts and reality. Okay, yeah. And um and 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 you and I you gave me we talked about it but I just wasn't happy with it I I, I need to win this conversation I feel like you won I want to win, um, uh, gender is imagination okay and sex is real and so if you were to look if you were to put your hands between your legs you would feel your cock and balls and 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 because you have cock and balls we have given the signifier uh, because uh, darn it you better not have given me that sickness you better and i swear that you better not be giving Interesting, that. Uh, right? uh, <laughs> uh-huh. you have cock and balls and therefore yes uh, we we call cock and balls uh um man mm-hmm. it, 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 we can point to something that, that's sure. real outside of us and gender is on the on the inside do we agree on that so I, I, you bring up an interesting point that in the last, I don't know, two or three decades, gender and sex have turned synonymous with each other, which I do. Have yeah, a I can't with. stand that. I fucking hate that. So uh, having worked with other creatures and animals, I can tell you that working you know, <laughs> with some of the laboratory work I did, if you've heard of chlamydomonas. Uh, and, Is that and, a venereal disease? No, I, I, oh. an algae. Chlamydomonas. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, Reinhardt, I have a problem pronouncing the other one. Clam- we just call it clammy. Anyway, clammy has clammy has sexual reproduction. Uh, uh, algae, pretty pretty cool. Although we would call it mating type positive and mating type negative, because <laughs> uh-huh. some would have the genes that could trans like that would create the the sex pillus, also known as a penis, to transfer genes. Okay, and uh, some could receive it, and then then you could actually you could change the DNA on purpose by engineering what genes got transferred during sex. Okay. Pretty cool. Those, that, that thing you just showed us that Caleb just showed us that thing can bone. Like some of them have a a penis and some have a vagina. So more like think, think more like, uh, have them, have them Google pillis. Yeah. So the, the, it does inject DNA into into another chlamydomonas cell, and then it recombines into the genome, 
And if you engineer the DNA correctly, you can actually target where that DNA recombines. Okay. <clears throat> and now various other techniques, uh, similar techniques, you know, work, work in also mammalian cells as well. One of the bigger problems with that having to do with, you know, systemic DNA recombination rather than just local, very different sort of monster. In, in any case, I, I recognize the, <laughs> the rather the conflation, I suppose, of, of sex and gender and that sex has a, in my opinion, has a more strict physical measurable component to it whether you want to go with external visual organs or you want to go with chromosomes or you want to, you know, any number of measurable things. And then, then gender really acts more as a signifier of behavior. Yeah. And, and like, I don't have to participate in. So, so if someone asks me, what religion are you? And, and I say, Christian, like I'm participating in this, 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 this illusion. Okay. That's, that's in someone's head and gender is the same way. What gender are you? Well, I, I don't, I don't, how would I even, how the fuck would I even like, I don't even people like when I heard gender fluid, of course I'm gender fluid. How the fuck would I know? Like, do I ride a, a magic dragon to work or do I ride a fucking imaginary magic carpet? Like how, but if you say to me, Savon, um, uh, what, um, what sex are you? And I said, I don't know. How would I tell you can be like, well, you look down. Okay. And I look down and they'd be like, is there a yeah. hole there or is there a, uh, and you, you can, so you, you have mentioned what some, some people call it a stipulative definition, stipulative, stipulative. Okay. Yes. Yes. Where, yes. Okay. Where you have set up these criteria and if you meet the criteria, then it, and matters. we could, and we could agree on it. Right. Whereas we couldn't agree on, so on, on what knee pain is because to, that's inside the head. Yes. And, and does it actually exist inside the head? Because, it, right. Okay. Like okay. It, so, a different fun comfort. Like I have a pain okay. in my knee. Do you? You could. Can you take it out of your knee? Right. No. You can. You can take a coin out of your pocket. So it just. Yeah, it, I like it. I yeah. like it. So like I the, like it. You want to get into the philosophy of neuroscience? We could do that some other time. <laughs> yeah, I, I like and, it. Uh, yeah. So a lot of it has to do with the, To quote Wittgenstein, philosophy comes essentially with the mistrust of grammar, and in in conversations like this. Uh, People use these words that we all recognize and nobody, I put nobody in quotes, very few people have come to terms. So we may have spoken about this last time where we have a catalog of words or noises that we make with our face, right? Yeah, but we're wind, wind benders or something I heard someone say one time. I was like, wow. Cute. I, like, I like it. Yeah, the, the yeah. airbender probably. Yeah, airbenders, yes. Cartoon. Yeah, the last airbender. Really cute. So people make face noise. Now, these face noises affect behavior mm. and it affects behavior in context. And so in, in a colloquial conversation like ours, I would call that a term. So we have a vocabulary and a terminology. For instance, you can drop an F-bomb and you can do it a million different ways and it would mean a million different things. Mm -hmm. So fuck exists as one word and many terms. Mm. Coming to terms, therefore, would, would create a, a sort of Socratic dialogue where help me to understand what gender means so that I can answer your question in a way that makes sense for you. Mm. And these sorts of conversations, those sorts of questions for me go that route almost automatically <laughs> where I can answer your question about gender. If you tell me what gender means, then I can then I can create an answer around the sort of stipulations that you place. Or other or other conceptual grounding. 
somebody could use gender in many different ways, presumably, where and uh, and taking it in in and out of context. Gender can can practically can practically mean the way you dress. It can practically mean uh, how you identify yourself. It can practically mean uh, your other sorts of sexual preferences. It can practically mean any single thing, and it can practically mean all of these things. It can practically, so it affects behavior or rather describes a large variety of behaviors that when having a conversation with somebody, it pays to start with, uh, I would love to answer your question. If you help me to understand what gender meant, then I can give you a straightforward answer. Which, which brings me to my, my point that There are there are two worlds. Okay. Boy, you're not gonna like this. This is where we went sideways last time. There are two there are two worlds. I want to win so bad, Dr. Kashi. You win. <laughs> um, there are two worlds. Um, so so um, uh, I, I, I'll give you the example. So so I dress my boys in in girls uh, black tights okay. and wife beaters. The thing cholos wear. And for me, I dress them like that because that's the way Baryshnikov used to dress. And my mom thought Baryshnikov was like the most handsome man who ever lived. And, okay. and I, so I see that as masculine as a motherfucker. Okay. And, and you know what I mean? Girls, black tights and wife beaters. And they walk around and like everyone thinks they're girls. But I see them as like just hardcore, tough ballet dancer sure. types. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Fucking they do jujitsu in it, you know? Yeah. Like it's gray belt test last week in it. Anyway, because gender is like bullshit. Okay. But because it's made up in my culture, gender is the girl's tights and the wife beater. Sure. Someone else's, it might be fucking the blue jeans and the high tops converse with a skateboard on his back. Yeah. Um, but, but sex is not made up. It, um, it, it is, uh, it's a signifier for something that, um, all human beings, regardless of whatever, it Whatever. It's the penis. It, it's, it is the penis. You can see it in the outside world. It, it truly exists. It describes a phenotype and or genotype. Yeah. And so when you conflate, we, we're living in a society where people are conflating imagination with reality, okay. the terms. And when that happens, we have fucking chaos. And, I, and, we, have re- and we get really dumb people. Okay. I, so I would say that that term, confused people, people like running into walls and shit. That that sounds like a more diplomatic and maybe more accurate way of putting things. Really, they just behave in a way that you have a problem with. Which okay, we can take that. Not not yeah. that I have a problem. Well, I do have a problem with it, but um, uh, communication. They're delusional. They're 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 they they. It's impossible to communicate with someone if they can't distinguish. Not impossible. Um, communication becomes retarded in the clinical sense when you speak with people who are conflating their imagination with reality. Okay. And and there is a, there is a reality. An, an example I like to give is I plant a seed in the windowsill in a pot, and the reality is normal as the plant will always grow towards the the, the, the light. Okay. A hundred out of a million out of a million times. Okay. <clears throat> so you appeal to the laws of nature. I don't even know what I'm arguing, but I rest my case. Okay. <laughs> so I, I agree that when, when two people say the same word and it means different things, that makes communication difficult. But, but how about even the fact that I'm pointing to something that's here? Okay. 
And they're pointing to something that's in their head. They're like they're conflating this gender thing does not exist. Does it? So I I understand that terms like gender have in a vast but in I I made that up, and in a lot of cases have too too broad, too too large of an umbrella to make useful in daily conversation. But I can't even point to it. I'm okay with the word, by the way. I just want there to be an acknowledgement that it's not it's not uh, real. The same way red means stop is not real, but 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 it but it but it has practicality, so we don't fucking get in car oh, accidents. Yeah. So in this context, you define red as a discriminating stimulus. It means we learned that. But it doesn't mean it's real. Money, money's the same fucking way. Money is not fucking the value of money is not fucking real. We've just agreed upon it. But mail is fucking real. Or am I wrong? So in this case, the penis is real. Yes, sir. The the, yeah. the yes. So you have now used the term sex as a way to discriminate physiology it, yes, down, sir. Down, down two ways. Yes, sir. So in this case, we can say the penis is real, and then you use sex as, a, as an umbrella term to encompass the penis for this population. Yes. So you use sex as an economy of language. I, I think that's the term, but, but, I, but I use it to, to convey with precision. So I could say Dr. Cashy stresses me out, yeah. and that's just a fucking lie. Because there's no way you could stress me out. I can only stress myself out because stress is imaginary. It doesn't exist well, in the outside world. Penises exist, okay. and Dr. Tashi exists, but stress stress and gender are just bullshit on the inside. And I don't mean bullshit in a bad way. Like, I'm cool with I, I stress. I'm so cool I'll, with I'll appeal. I'll appeal to the broccoli argument. Oh, okay, please. Okay, so now if you say stress isn't real, like you can't stress me out. Well, if, right. if, if you have – if you have broccoli and I punch you in the face repeatedly yes. enough times, you'll look yes. at a supermarket. You'll go walk into a supermarket, look at a head of broccoli, and your heart rate will go up. And I'll run out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So in, in this context, like people would call that respondent learning. Okay. We have paired, we have paired something neutral with something polar, and the neutral thing takes on the physiological characteristics of the polar stimulus. So does broccoli cause stress? No. It does cause stress when you pair it with something that does stress you out, though. And this exists as a form of learning. So, and and me stressing you out may have generalized from something else. For instance, let's say I look like your dad and your dad beat you, okay? Right, right. That would mean if I walked into the room and you saw me, you might freak out for a second. Right. So that sort of learning does exist. It also, it, it also you know, happens at the same time with, with operant conditioning, the like, like red means stop. We learn that separately, and those things can then coexist. With red can stress me out and mean stop at the same time. Right. So do I do I think that stress can can have external causal factors? One hundred percent. Do I also believe that if we describe a situation or explain a situation with stressful language, it induces a stress response? I absolutely do. Okay, so in that vein, I do think that a lot of a lot of stress starts from an external source, and we and or you perpetuate it. 
Are you pausing? Now my turn to talk? Yeah, yeah. I could slap, I could, you could slap me. I'm going to rephrase it. You could slap me with your penis. You could not slap me with your stress or your gender. Okay. Understood. (laughs) I'm so proud of myself. Well, thank you for clarifying that. (laughs) So stress described in many cases, a, a broad, a broad physiological response. Yeah, I could and, and I could be aroused when you slap me with your penis, or I could be stressed out by it. It's up to me. You can you can have you stress or de stress. Yes. Fuck, I love you so much, Doctor Cashy. <laughs> Did you ever see? I'm not a fan of him anymore. Did you ever see John Oliver interview um, Snowden? He went to uh, Moscow. No, it's an incredible interview. I highly recommend it. They he basically talks about. He basically talk. They they use dick pics as the as the metaphor to explain just how the the NSA works and how it spies on you. And it's it's. I'm, I was so proud of Snowden how he handled it. I think that's the guy's name. Okay, Trish, you get the last question because you you sent me four dollars and ninety nine cents. Uh, why do we self sabotage potential success? Example: drinking too much the night before a big job interview. What is that impulse? What a great question. And in this, again, this sort of description of, okay, so you say stress isn't real. However, would you say epinephrine is real? What's that? Is that the chemical that gets released in you or something? Yeah, like adrenaline. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I think it is. They tell me it is. I mean, I imagine some little pump like squirts it out in my bloodstream and I start shaking. Something like that. So stress we use as an economy of language. We use one word as more of like a mnemonic device for depending on people in the field. To, to stand for this wide array of physio- physiology that happens at once. Oh, wow. You're fucking me up. Okay, got it. So to say stress doesn't exist, well, okay, well, stress we use as a face noise to describe glucocorticoid output, uh, adrenaline, uh, nervous system tone, like all sorts of, all sorts of you know, neurological activity, et cetera. Right. And so we 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 take this this huge this huge sort of gamish of physiological activity we label as we, we label as stress to keep us from reading down the entire list every time we discuss it. Right. Right. Uh, I, that was really good. But 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 what about this sabotage thing? Okay. Was that was that your answer to that? Because no, I no, didn't no, get it. No, went over my head. But I but I did like how you said that you fucked me up, and I'm gonna have to have you on a third time to try okay. to win again. I'll take it. I'll take it. So the the I love I love questions like this because sometimes the questions give the answer. Right. Um. So it presumes that we sabotage success, and and this tells a story that we can that we can sort of see into the future, uh, when in reality, we we behave because of things that happen right now. So if, if you feel stressed out, for instance, if you feel stressed out and you have your nervous system all worked up or whatever term people use these days, that you can consume alcohol as, as a nervous system depressant. In other words, this stressed out feeling goes away when you drink alcohol. And that you learn as a separate behavior isolated from you having a job interview. You, the royal you, we learn to flip people off when, when they flip us off because when they drive away, and I say because on purpose, when they drive away, our stressed out feeling goes away, thus reinforcing the chance that we will flip someone off the next time. 
And so now the sort of question with drinking, she brings up, Trish, brings up very good points. She, where the example actually means way more than the question. So why do we sabotage, why do we self-sabotage potential success really asks something like, uh, what makes a smaller reward in the short term higher value than a larger reward in the long term? Which meaning, really, meaning, meaning you drank, which was the short term reward of curing yourself of the stress, yes. but damage is the long term value of getting a job, being able to correct. buy more alcohol later. Correct. And these these exist as separate outcomes. And and only because we have language and we can tell stories, do we force the connection. So does drinking and and bombing your job interview have a direct connection with the sort of frame I use? Actually, no. I look at them separately. <clears throat> Drinking may have, to put it another way, I'll put it another way. If the hangover came first, fewer people would drink. Oh, yeah, that's a great example. Yes, 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 yes. But if you bomb the job interview, you might drink more. Maybe so. And that asks a different question. And in that case, you do have these other negative feelings that you want to go away. And then we have this repertoire of behaviors to avoid, distract, repress, suppress, whatever psychobabble term you want to use. You terminate the negative feelings. And we have a variety of tools to do that. Alcohol is one of them. And so why do we sabotage potential success? I actually think distracts from the actual example, which Trish, I highly recommend you look at these things in context, like in the actual moment versus trying to like, why do I screw up my success? I, I, I give, I give a silly, um, how do I say this? I give a silly impersonation for my own sake because we all dramatize, right? I, why do I destroy my success? Really? It makes more sense to act. Why do I drink when I feel stressed and what conditions contribute to the stress feeling and how does alcohol help me with that now? And then this will give you some other questions to answer. Well, really, alcohol does solve the problem. <laughs> it, it, you get a benefit from it. And for that reason, you will keep doing it in the future. That makes sense. We call it learning. Right. Now, from, a, from an intervention perspective, you can take the approach of, well, what in the environment contributes to the, to the stress? In this case, the environment might consist of you talking to yourself. You might start demand, like, I must do well at this interview. I have to get the job. Or else, <laughs> okay? Yeah. yeah or yeah. else, I fuck up everything. I'll never get a job. And that's horrible. Down to drama, right? Then we start downing. And then I'll be a homeless fucking idiot who can never do anything ever again. And then it'll go to despairing. Like, why Like why bother? Just give me the drink. So I, so you can, you can probably spot some of these language patterns insofar as like what in the environment contributes. In this context, I would say that you talking to yourself you actually give yourself directions to behave in this way more often than you would guess. And that goes back to our question of putting the stick in the grinder. Uh, when, you, when you can sort of identify these sorts of language patterns in yourself. So when you feel this way, you will then start explaining it. <laughs> I have to get away from it. I must, I need, I should. Typical language pattern, which then you, you, you leverage to give yourself permission to do something that will end up sabotaging your success later, to borrow your language. So it really has less to do with why do I sabotage my success and more to do with what, what causal factors contribute to me avoiding stress in the moment. And when I do avoid stress, what do I choose? What behaviors do I do to avoid it? 
And when you have those pieces of the puzzle, you can start making substitutions. And from, from a step zero to step one standpoint, you can look back or even in real time, measure how often you drink while stressed. <laughs> and that gives you two, two, two very interesting pieces of information. One, how often you get stressed enough to drink and two, how often you drink because you feel stressed. And that, that gives you other, other ways to start manipulating your behavior on purpose instead of by accident. And you can start experimenting with other ways that help in the short term manage your stress levels. In a situation like this, does the stress stay around forever? No, you only have to moderate it long enough so that you can perform. Works out different if you have a chronic stressor. So this, at this time, you have, you have tools in the toolbox you can pull out. I can give generic ones. Uh, like you, you could, you could run a mile as fast as you can and then jump into a tub of ice. Like you can, you can actually overdo it a little bit and cause, and, and cause like the dive reflex to occur. Like you have external methods you can use that will depress your nervous system. Like drinking will, well, so will, so will jumping into a tub of ice. Right. Uh, right. You look up the dive reflex. It has, it has physio like it causes a physiological response that lowers heart rate, for instance. Uh, you can exhaust yourself with exercise. You can do something like coloring, although meh, okay? Basically, you will have so-called healthier ways to help distract and or manage your stress in the moment. Do I think having a, an overall philosophy of living that lowers the probability that you stress yourself out more often makes sense? Absolutely. We still have moments where we would feel what we call overwhelmed, although I think if you get overwhelmed, you die, where if, if you mm. still... Mm. Okay, but we say the word overwhelmed, which now perpetuates the stress, by the way. <laughs> we dramatize, <clears throat> at least the way that I like to use the word when I talk with people about it and frame the situation. Yeah, yeah. So now it turns out, it comes down to, well, what options do we have to go back to the car flipping off argument? Very few people realize they even have options. And now that we talk about it in an environment like this, when you feel cool, you can now list out the sort of things that you like to do that do help moderate your stress. And you can keep them available to you, knowing that you have a job interview a week from now. Uh, you can have those sorts of things sort of prepared, if you want to use that term. And you can teach yourself to pause and, and do, 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 use the UI to check the options by practicing ahead of time. So a lot of people, a lot of people think that, well, if, I, if, I, if somebody tells me what to do, then when the time comes, I'll do it. And learning just, learning just, operates a little bit different than that. It might even make sense to do a fake interview with a friend at a similar office. Hell yeah. Okay. Now we get into things like role playing, which sounds silly. And because it sounds silly, people avoid it. And you can, you can then use that to go back to stimulus generalization. Okay. You can do fake interviews leading up to your real interview, and that will give you opportunity to practice staying calm and also using the stress reduction tools that you have in your arsenal before you, you, you conduct the actual interview. And in a lot of instances for people, people stress themselves out because they think they'll bomb the interview <clears throat> or, or they have problem maintaining eye contact or whatever sort of, I guess, social, social phobia, fear thing they may have. Um, if you, if you stress yourself out over it in a, in a generalized way, like I'm a failure at life. If I, if I bomb this interview, well, then that gives you an opportunity to look at your language patterns. Like, are you a failure at life? No. Do you miss it on this job? Yes. Does that cause hassles? Yes. <laughs> if I get hassled, does that make my life over? No. Okay. So it gives you some opportunity to sort of level the playing field here. 
And with these sort of chronic chronic issues where if you go out and talk to someone and you get stressed out ahead of time, then you find yourself using external, like I'll just say pharmaceuticals or, or other consumptive things to help moderate your stress, you can start exposing yourself to those things on purpose and in a regulated way so that you can actually stack the deck in your favor and give yourself a damn chance to do well during game time. So a lot of people think that, well, I practice with the basketball team <clears throat> so that I can I can get my skills up and do well during the game. And really, a lot of the benefits of practicing with the team have to do with mimicking the game. <laughs> and and you end up you end up getting skills as a side effect from practicing. Really, you spend time in a similar court. You spend time around similar people. You do similar motor patterns. And those things actually prepare you to do well during game time because it, to some degree, emulates, emulates the competition. So in this, in this situation with the interview, you can, you can, <laughs> you can apply to a hundred jobs knowing that you only want one of them and still go to the interviews. I think more people should take advantage of this and that you should as a joke. It would help a lot of people if they took advantage of the fake interview by actually getting real ones. You can just as easily send your resume out to 100 people and you could do two or three interviews a week. And after a couple oh. of months, you'll you'll like you'll know exactly how to interview. It's like playing all the baseball games before you get to the world championships. Oh, yeah, you practice. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you will you will feel what people would call confident. You'll know what to say. You'll know how to overcome objections. You'll know what to do ahead of time. And this will also moderate your stress on the back end. Reps. Like I still feel, I still feel terrified going on a podcast with you doing things live and I do these sorts of things on purpose. It, it, it helps me to feel more comfortable with it every time I do it. Yeah. Get in the reps. Me too. It, I, I even get, I even get more nervous um, uh, with people that I've already had on once before, because then what if we talk about the same thing twice and they think that I wasn't listening the first time and, and you, that, that nervousness got exacerbated when you referenced our previous podcast. Really? Oh, I actually considered it a, like a, a convenience that we oh, have not come, we have come to terms on some things and we can expand on it more. I think recapping on stuff that we've learned before helps progress the conversation. Awesome. Uh, did you go back and watch it again? How did, or do you just remember? I did. Oh, I God. did. I did like the That's next it. day. Well, I mean like before this one, no, yeah. I did like a couple of oh. days after I did the original one I did. Wow. Uh, we made it full circle. If you go to Dr. Trevor Cashy, you have to go to his YouTube station. If you want to sum he made the video that sums up this whole podcast. So if you don't have an hour and 15 minutes to watch this whole podcast, but I guess if you've made it to this point, it doesn't matter. You want to watch the video, make better decisions by expanding the space between stimulus and response. I think that was a, a pretty solid theme we had uh, throughout uh, this podcast. You should also check out, uh, we didn't even talk about his specialty, but we talked about it last time. Um, Trevor, uh, Trevor Cashy nutrition. Yes, man. You're doing, you're doing good work for people in a time when it's, uh, I, I really do believe the collapse of civilization is happening at one bite at a time. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you so much, brother, for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, and we shall chat again soon. Yes, please. As soon as I build the guts to have you on again. <laughs> Very well, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Have a good day. Yes, sir. Can I have you on? Yeah, for sure. Time to drink. What are you, you going to go oh. Bloody Mary? Uh, no, I got to.
get packing for a trip. Oh. Oh shit. Okay. Um. Why? Well, so am I not going to see you for a little bit? Um. Just a couple days, I don't think. Okay. All right. I'll text you. Will your phone still work? Um. I don't know. It's a good question. Uh. Great guest. I feel so uh, lucky that we get people. Um. I feel so lucky that we get people like him. Dude, he's awesome. Yeah. I learn something new every time we talk. He's such a smarty pants. And he's and he's cool about it. He's he's pay. I always wonder. I was like, is he becoming? I never see signs of it, but I always wonder: is he becoming impatient, having to try to explain these things over and over? I don't know. I mean, he kind of it's his job, kind of, to do that. And he loved the title of your show. That was pretty cool. That was very cool. Uh, okay, uh, tomorrow we have Sherman Merrick on, uh, affiliate owner, uh, previous guest. Also, I guess this should be. Um, uh, not Shark Week, but um, guests coming back week. So I will see you guys tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Mr. Beaver. <laughs>